as much as possible, I try to stay away from the average. Once you collapse everything into an average, you're losing information. Welcome to the Innovation Metrics Podcast, where we bring you the latest on innovation management. We provide insights on how to measure innovation, innovation accounting, and managing the uncertain process of developing new, sustainable, and profitable business models. You can find links to the main topics covered in this episode and information about the guests and hosts in the show notes, or go to our blog on innovationmetrics.co. Your host is Aaliyah Eilert. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Today, Paul Orlando is joining us. We're talking about customer acquisition costs, customer lifetime value, and nerdy things like that. But we hope we can make it a bit of fun along the way. Paul has written a fantastic book called Growth Units, which will guide us along the podcast today. Welcome to the show, Paul. Aliyah, I'm so happy to be here to talk unit economics and all things related. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Thank you. But would you mind telling listeners a little bit about yourself before we get started, like your background, what you're currently doing? So I am a former startup founder. And in that experience that I had, I had a startup in New York uh, for a couple of years where I made a ton of mistakes and became really interested in that process of how founders figure things out or often don't figure things out. And for me, the next step that made sense was that I made that you know part of what I did. So uh, since that time, I've uh, gone on and I've focused on building startup accelerator programs and incubator programs around the world. I built Hong Kong's first uh, funded startup accelerator. I was brought in to build a program in Rome that was themed around environmental tech. I'm now uh, helping a large nonprofit build a community health incubator. And um, uh, day to day, I actually am uh, at the University of Southern California. So I run the, uh, the university startup incubator there. And I also teach in the Entrepreneurship Center. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so well qualified to talk about the topic. So you wrote this book. And, and as I mentioned earlier, when we spoke before the show, I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's like, um, it, it's a really great book to just pick up and and you're able to read it. It's it's easy to read. It made me smile a little bit, and it gives you also enough um, enough to really do something, right? Enough to take a spreadsheet and start calculating things and understanding why you're doing things and what questions you want to ask. Kind of prioritize a little bit of what to learn. So it's I think it's a fantastic book. Maybe guide us through a little bit about a high level of of, of this book, and then that can help us then later on on the podcast to follow through a bit. Like so. Maybe why did you write the book and so growth units and what is it about? I, I appreciate that. So I wrote the growth units book because I had been working with startups on these unit economics questions for a long time. I had actually been teaching a class at USC that was focused on this topic, you know, largely. We would um, bring startups into the classroom and they would get a team of students to work with them on one element of their growth. But part of that is understanding like where are there levers that you can you know, press on to help that business. And it's always gonna be a little bit of a different answer, you know, uh, you'll find. So I was teaching that class, I was you know, running these you know, startup accelerators or incubators. And when everything went remote in 2020, 
you know, um, a lot of the way that I worked uh, had to change. So I was previously, you know, most comfortable working kind of at the whiteboard in front of a class. And we would, you know, in a live session, derive formulas and we'd figure out a conversion funnel. We would figure out basically these elements of unit economics, you know, figuring out lifetime value, customer acquisition cost and on. And when that went away or that in-person, you know, um, you know, environment went away, I didn't think that I could really transfer that very well, you know, to a, a Zoom session necessarily. So instead, I spent some time writing down a lot of these concepts, a lot of the things that I had worked on and built previously, um, really a like series of marathon sessions in, in writing uh, this out and trying to make it really you know, just useful, straightforward, um, but uh, ended up pushing this uh, book out there uh, late summer 2020. And to be honest, I, um, I kind of left it there and I didn't really do anything else with it. I kind of almost forgot about it for a while. And then what happened to me, which, which shows maybe I'm not the best marketer, right? But um, what happened in my case was a few months ago, I ended up discovering not because I was really tracking it, but just by accident, I was discovering that people well outside of you know, my network or the students I had had or anybody who would have you know, known me personally, um, people were discovering this book and they were posting that they were also getting value you know, from it or how they were using it. Um, so it kind of made me want to return to this topic um, yeah. you know, in a more serious way. But, um, but yeah, the, the approach that I took was let's first come to an understanding of what we mean by unit economics or specifically lifetime value and customer acquisition cost. These terms are thrown around a lot. I find that people use them in different ways. So I showed some, uh, some approaches and why I felt that some were better than others. I go through a number of case studies where we look yeah. at specific businesses in you know, one of these elements and how they are either doing well or not doing well. You show really well why we're using the same term and we come to a different number. What might be the better way and why? And it's really simple. Like you can actually, yeah, you get it. It's not too crazy. And I think it's really due to the way you, you know, you present it. And, and you know, if you have done it obviously a couple of times before you, you, you wrote that book, that really shows and makes total sense now why it's so, why it flows so well. So maybe we start off going into it, unit economics or growth units. Let's just quickly explain what we're actually talking about there. Is that a fair sure. way of starting? Yeah, that makes sense. So usually when we're talking about unit economics, we're actually trying to look at the like at the customer level rather than the level of the entire business. So um, that means we're not necessarily or we're not really looking at like top line, you know, total revenue that a business is uh, is generating or all the costs that they are generating. Instead, we're trying to look at that at like for one sale or for one customer over time. What does that business derive. And so yeah. there's a few parts of that on lifetime value. So uh, so it's a, it's a one cup of coffee rather than we're looking at your whole business. We're looking, I think we're using a coffee shop thing. It sounds, you had that in book and yeah, right. re, like I think restaurants and stuff like that is good. Um, and so why are we doing that? Why are we, why is it important to look, maybe you were about to say it anyway, but why is it important to, to or what is the value of just looking at, uh, at the, at the units? economics rather than, you know, trying to analyze the business? No, th that's, a, that's a great question. I like to bring it back down to the unit level because that's really where like a lot of the action takes place. So 
Um, if we don't do that, we're kind of looking at the aggregate. We're looking at, we're then at the point of, you know, averages, you know, um, yeah. if we instead go down to a unit level, I can, I can have a different lifetime value for a specific customer segment. And I might have five different segments that I am trying to serve. Um, they might have different payback periods. They might have different margins. Like we, that's where we can get into the, like the granularity yeah. of this topic. Um, if you keep it at that like business level, um, like total revenue, total costs, you know, et cetera, um, you lose a lot of that helpful detail. And I find like certainly for startups, also certainly yeah. for large organizations, um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a mistake to you know leave it at that like top level. So once you go down, we can maybe I'm diving in a little too soon, but. Um, as an example, like lifetime value, the way I like to uh, describe lifetime value is it has three things uh, that um, that help you determine it. Uh, it's the price per unit that you're charging. It's the cost of serving that unit up. And it's like the number of times that somebody's going to stay in and buy that unit with yeah. you. So it's some kind of retention metric. I feel like we should probably, if you're okay with that, maybe may actually pause it there, maybe so be like customer acquisition costs and customer lifetime value. So these will be the two um, essential, I guess, the most essential terms we're talking about today. Why are we looking at the unit? I think it would be really, if, if you're okay with sticking to this, and and we spoke about this before the podcast, and you know when we we're when we we're catching up beforehand about uh, product market fit and so on. So maybe I can throw maybe I can throw that and then get your interesting takes. I would I would just love to stay in that. And why are oh, we sure. doing that for 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 just a little bit longer? So I guess for for large organizations and that's or for existing products and for existing products for existing business models, there's value, and that's probably not so much what we're going to discuss today. So I guess that's a more forensic look into what is really going on, and you know, are you really scaling well? And a set of different questions, I guess. Um, sort of what this podcast is interested in, and where your main expertise is, but um, or where you've done more work, I believe, is really to 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 even get something going. So like, sure, we could look at the whole business, but what business, right? I think that's one of the things. So when you don't even have a business you can look at yet. So you're, yes. you're you know, it's your first product. It's your, you, you don't know if you have what we call product market fit. And I would love your take on how you define it. And and I think we, we might, be, might be very interesting to challenge my own thoughts on that uh, with your expertise. And so I guess it's, could you say it is the most useful thing to look at while you're establishing a business? It's like that's like the customer customer acquisition cost of a customer lifetime value with whatever that is for now. That is like that's the thing you're looking at before you have a business. Is, is that a way of saying it? Or it um it it could be. So um and, and it is challenging, right? So mm -hmm. you have those those two pieces. So customer acquisition cost being how much money does it take you to bring a customer in? Yeah. In other words, taking somebody who is not a customer and turning them into a customer. Many different ways. There are customer acquisition costs of zero, right? It could just be word of mouth. Yeah. And then on the- Like your book, if I may say. Oh, there you go. Yeah, sure. There you go, right? That's <laughs> and that's the best way, right? Somebody you know, loves a product, they tell another person yeah. to a customer, the business doesn't have to spend anything. Um, and then on the other extreme, of course, you have, you know, paid advertising, you have sales teams, you have like uh, uh, a lot of the activities that need to go into, you know, supporting either much higher priced items or more complex 
uh, you know, sales that require like you know, a bit more of a process. Uh, there's probably not too much of a lengthy process in deciding, you know, like to buy a book or not. It's not a life-changing, you know, amount of money. It might be a life-changing book, but it's not a life-changing amount of money. Um, but for like, you know, for either more complex products or much more expensive products, you know, you might have to invest in that development of a customer. The um, so uh, yeah, so that's that customer acquisition cost or CAC is one part. You often understand that you know early, early on because you can run tests. You can see what does it take to bring somebody through a conversion funnel and turn them into a customer. On the lifetime value side, however, that often takes more time to understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least you can run early experiments on your customer acquisition costs and uh, and and sort of uh, work your way towards. Again, I'm saying product market fit without having defined it yet. Here, um, right. is that right? And yes, but this is where it does become difficult to give you a single answer because there's certainly situations where, like a really early stage company, you know just experimenting, maybe putting up like a smoke test of some type or yeah. like you know, one-on-one yeah. interview. In some cases, if they are not, well, I'll, I'll say if just directly, if they're not going after, if they haven't figured out who their real early right. ideal customer is yet, they might have something that is of value, but they're just talking to the wrong people. They're presenting it to the wrong people and it's impossible to acquire them as customers. They are, also might be that, you know, yeah, what you're is it's just not right. It's not good enough. It's, you know, it doesn't have the right, it's not solving the, you know, the right, you know, uh, problem or the feature set isn't yeah. you know, quite right. So yeah. or uh, your value proposition is not really congruent with what yeah. you're actually offering. And then, okay, you acquire customers for a moment and then they all drop. Right. And then you don't have any lifetime. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Good point. Mm-hmm. So, so it is a bit of a process. Um, but, but to your earlier point, like, Maybe there is some, you know, there is some point at which you say, okay, this looks like it's going to cost us um, much more to acquire customers than we expected, even factoring in some of the word of mouth, you know, um, and our best estimates of lifetime value is less than that. Something's wrong. We we need to change what yeah. we're doing. This is not going to be sustainable. It really comes back to, for startups, it's, it's just... You can do a lot with very few customers to understand your business, the potential of your business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's it. That's it. Um, so you can certainly get insights, and you're probably always tweaking these models as you go yeah. along. Yes. Um, mm. Yeah. That's that's also why just understanding different customer types is really important in this process. So yeah. I you know, if I ask a you know, a startup. Uh, what their lifetime value is for this you know, product that they built. Um, if they give me a single number, they better also only have one customer segment, right? Because right. if they are actually having multiple nice. segments, nice. Uh, you could be collecting this in different ways. Nice, yeah, different exactly. Um, whether it is on the pricing side, like you have a basic and a premium version, whether it is on just other metrics, such as you have some like incredibly diehard fans who are just you know uh, yeah. retained with very high percentage retention versus others who I just needed to use this for a short time and I'm never going to come back and do this again. Right. Um, so, yeah, so you can kind of, uh, you, you can start to um, understand how much 
how much somebody has thought about this question just by seeing like, what is the response? If the response is a single number, or if they say, well, this segment LTV is, you know, uh, $50 for this one, it's, you know, 250 for this, it's, you know, 5,000, uh, same thing on customer acquisition cost. And once you start doing that, you know, um, you obviously need some data or some, you know, time to do that. But once you start doing that, you can then start to think, all right, well, if I wanted to grow this one segment, what's going to change? You know, um, am I going to, you know, have to rely more on paid growth? Am I going to be able to, right. um, use for my existing customers to use word of mouth and refer friends in, you know, there's like all, all these questions. Perfect. Is the pricing appropriate or is that actually, you know, um, keeping the retention uh, at a lower you know, percent that it might be if it were a lower you know, price point. Um, all these questions, you know, uh, I guess uh, could be looked at. And of course, once you change one thing, you know, it, it probably has an, the impact of uh, changing the behavior in a few other places or changing the outcomes in a few yeah, other places. Yeah, that's, that's a complex system. So great. And um, maybe we should actually now uh, take that step back and say, say so what is... What is a what is customer acquisition cost, and then we talk about what is customer lifetime value, and I think then we should go back to if we still manage to arrive there uh, one more time. Think about what is product market fit in this context. How could it look like? How could it be quantified um, rather than qualitative or feeling or feedback kind of metrics? Like how how can we have a more quantitative approach? Sure. So, um, so what is actually customer acquisition cost? Yeah. <laughs> how do you calculate so it? CAC, I think of um, it as two parts. So it has the cost of getting somebody in the door. And I use that term in the door because it could literally be in the door of Coffee, a shop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. We have it. Uh, or it could be in an online door of some you know, sense, like getting somebody on your website, your app, and on. Um, so sometimes that's zero dollars, as in. I told my friend and then they, they went and did it themselves or it could be, you know, I, I ran a paid ad and that's a factor of, you know, cost per click and, you know, like you know, how many people are clicking. Um, but I have that cost of getting, getting somebody in the door. And then um, I divide into that the conversion rate. So once they are there in the store or on the website, uh, once they're there, what is the conversion, you know, uh, you know, the likelihood that they actually become a, a customer of mine? Yeah. So, you know, uh, that you can also track with, you know, different analytics tools. Yeah. Uh, you can track this over time. Uh, it's those two things. I guess and, what's um, important there, sorry, if, if I'm, so for your, for your, for the listeners, for your team, or if you're a single entrepreneur, or if you're, if you're, if you're a corporate team, or if you're a startup team, it's probably a good idea at this point to to understand the demarcation line between what does it mean in the door and what does it mean from here we're converting. So acquisition activation maybe is that is that the point you're talking about in the in the pirate metric framework or yeah. So so this would land you at the top of the funnel in that pirate metric you know framework. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, I went from never having heard of you to getting on some property of yours. So maybe it's not the awareness. You know, uh, or at the very top, maybe it's like, you know, one level in, but you've landed on my, you know, my website, you've landed in, you know, something that um, is actually, you know, the, the business, the, you know, the product that I'm presenting to you. Um, you haven't worked through the rest of that funnel. So you're still not a customer until you pay. 
I'll say, you know, uh, you have to pay to become a customer. Um, but now you get to actually see, okay, well, here's the options, you know, here's the different tiers. Um, do you put your, you know, your uh, payment information in or not? Do you, so, you know, so why is it important to differentiate between uh, in the door and then being, do you call them activated afterwards once they're, once you convert them from in the door to, to the next stage? How, what terminology do you use usually? Okay, great. So if you're actually looking at a, the conversion funnel, um, it depends for you know, the business. So for some businesses, just capturing an email has some value. I can remarket to you. I have a potential to actually yeah. get you to convert to a paid customer down the road. Um, so uh, you know, the, the, there is some value. You haven't committed. You haven't you know, converted yet. But statistically, then you could back into okay. What is the value of a new email address? You know, uh, they haven't given me anything yet, but I know in general this percent of people go from give me their email to actually you know paying. I want to encourage at least the email. If I don't get them to make a decision buying today, at least I get multiple chances to uh, you know to communicate with them. Okay, so so what I take from it, and maybe correct me. So what I take from that is so, so when we calculate customer acquisition costs. Traditionally, that is the, the, this, this kind of segmentation is not done, but could you tell us why this is better? And then maybe the, the other part would be your team should come to the individual conclusion, what is in the door and, and what is the other part to properly calculate or have a better calculation of extra customer acquisition costs. Is that correct? The reason that I um, have to give a, a lot of it depends businesses have different situations. So yeah. there are businesses where, you know, they have users and they have customers, right? So this is like the typical yeah. social media, you know, business yeah. type. Um, most of the people who are using these you know, social media, you know, um, services, they're not paying anything, but they, you know, they have given an email, they are using the service, you know, they are maybe addicted to the service. And as a result, they're generating lots of page views, which generate ad revenue for uh, you know uh, the business itself. So um, there again, there's like you have your conversion funnel of a user, you have a conversion funnel of an advertiser, right? You know, the actual customer there. Um, then there's other types of businesses where maybe this is more of a SaaS business. I have a uh, a free version that I. You know, I let you use, and it does incur some costs for me as the business owner, but I mitigate some of that you know, expenditure by maybe showing ads to you, or I throttle the you know um, the amount of usage that you could you know um, take advantage of, and so I throttle the amount of costs that you're going to generate for me. And I know a certain percentage of you are going to then upgrade. You're going to get the premium version, and that you know, percentage is going to more than make up for all the people who stayed on the free plan. This is why, you know, it, it depends. Like your conversion funnel is just going to be different based on the type of business you have, or just looking at it, you know, uh, in terms of the different customer segments that you have, customers or users that you have. Okay. So, so in this scenario, um, saying, so what you call the unhelpful way of calculating uh, CAC is uh, total spent on marketing in a certain period over the number of new customers in the period. Like probably these numbers are relatively simple to pull for business. And that's maybe why we do it as well. I don't know. Maybe it's easier to jinx that number. I'm not sure. 
but you say that's an unhelpful way. So why is that an you say an, an unhelpful way or even a bad way? Um, it's unhelpful for a couple of reasons. So first of all, it misses that timing, you know, issue. So if I look at you know the month of January, everything I spent in that month, and then I look at how many customers I signed up, and then I just figure out well what's you know how many dollars per customer. The customers who signed up in January might have been responding to all the work that I did in December, right? Okay. Uh, so that's one problem with that. I'm, I'm really I'm not. Not perfect. We don't we don't have to dive into everything. I think it's really yeah. good to just like point out a few ones and say, I think you know, just describe like otherwise with this podcast takes three hours, I suppose. And I'm okay. like the biggest offender of asking you too many detailed <laughs> questions. I no. think this is this is I think this is that's great, right. right? So this is a really good okay. example of like, you know, I think that's very, very good illustration. There's no there's no correlation potentially between those two two numbers, okay. right? So yeah, I'll try to keep great. so no, no, it's all, no, no. I try to, I try to, I try to ask less. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the other reason is that we're not able to then look at it by a segment. So I just know the average, yeah. you know, and I might be attracting people from a customer segment that I don't want. Yeah. So I actually mm -hmm. want to yeah. exclude them in the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Perfect. And then, so what's the so the better way we touched on it, but just to to put it in the and the formula, I guess. Um, so what, what's the better way? Uh, so the better way that I like is um, taking the cost of getting a potential customer in the door and then dividing in the conversion rate. And once they're in that door and they work their way through the funnel, uh, what's the percent of those customers that actually, uh, or, so, or what's the percent of those people that actually become customers? So in other words, if it costs me $10 to get somebody in the door, you know, um, and then 10% of those people convert, I have a hundred dollar CAC. And so, and then you're in the book, you say the next, the next level to really help you understand your business, help you to focus on, I guess, um, where to grow, where you, where your dollars best spend, um, who you're serving and so on is then to go by, go by channel. So do what you just said. So do those two things and then, but look at it in a segmented way, right? Is that, is that correct? That's correct. So you might have a word of mouth channel, you have a mailing list channel, you have a you know, Instagram ad channel, um, as many as you want, and they all probably have a different customer acquisition cost associated. Great. Yeah. And you have a nice, like an illustration in your book where, you know, where they, if you're still looking for the average, then you're still looking for a time period for the average. Or how do you do that? As much as possible, I try to stay away from the average, actually. Um, once you collapse everything into an average, you're losing information. So without making it overly complicated, because sometimes you have to, you know, you have to analyze that trade-off. You don't want to track too many things, but um, you might have one channel that performs really well, you know, really low customer acquisition cost and has a great LTV. You might have another channel that has a relatively high customer acquisition cost and low LTV. You know, if you average these things together, you lose that information. And so by keeping them distinct, you hopefully start to figure out, okay, what are the better channels? What are the better customer segments? Um, maybe I actually want to stop attracting people of certain customer segments or stop using a specific acquisition channel. 
Okay, that that like that makes total sense. Um, out of the at least two questions I have, let me pick one. And um, so when we when we talk about let's say in a corporate innovation context now, less in the startup context, we we may want to pick between different different initiatives. Is that quite that seems to be quite challenging if everybody if we present you know hey we have like this is a great you know we have like no acquisition costs on like TikTok or whatever. And um, you know, but our total decimal, like our like Tam and TikTok is like you know, it's, it's just like one percent of of the customers we can reach. Isn't isn't that a problem when you think about like we let's say there is such a thing as an addressable market, and you're not that you know your product is not that innovative that you're trying to create a market. Like let's take I guess some of the people listening to this podcast might might think about that, but then yeah, isn't the value then in the average when you when you actually try to push for the entire market? Is that again one of these? It depends. Answers, and I should just not ask that question right now. Even, I mean, uh, even then, in an existing market, I, I think you do have you know, different customer segments and certainly different ways of reaching. You know, even if it is only one segment, you have different ways of reaching them. Um, or that might help you then determine: okay, we should resegment this market. We should be the you know uh, the company that focuses on this specific you know uh, yeah. user type. So, so that's why I guess I, I push back and think, you know, um, Good. as much as you can uh, try. Yeah, to I love avoid- it. Yeah, I love it. I guess I must have a tremendous bias there. <clears throat> Again, when you have, when you have, um, but when you choose between different in- initiatives, I guess that's where what I was starting out with in my question. So when you have to choose between, you know, you have five initiatives, and you know, you're trying to pick the best one to go with. Like, is, is how do you how do you navigate that when you look at different channels? And not at the average. I mean, in a in a corporate innovation sense, this gets yeah. even more complicated. I think, right? Yeah. Because then I mean, you you know this better than me. Like you have, well, you're navigating everything from um, something like a, a like a business cases, like you know payback periods or like you know like ROI you know, you know, kind of period uh, to just maybe internal politics of uh, why. Yeah, sure. Let's let's say they are not. One or the other. <laughs> um, yeah, if you were. Completely trying to look at this objectively, and all yeah. you care about is the money. Yes. Um, and, and there's no difference in you know like the the cost of serving uh, different. Well, that cost of serving these different segments would be expressed in lifetime value. Uh, then you can look at you know highest lifetime value payback fastest. You know, uh, so or, or paid out fastest. So um, the other thing I'll mention where. People try to use CAC and LTV metrics to make decisions and it trips them up. Is so it's intuitive to say LTV has to be bigger than CAC. I have to be earning more back from a customer than uh-huh. I spend acquire them, right? Yeah. We then often hear about these rules of thumb for like how much bigger. And you'll mm-hmm. hear in general, you'll often hear mm-hmm. three to one or four to one, mm-hmm. which you know, that's there for all the other stuff that's not like all the fixed costs that typically are not put into an LTV calculation uh, to give you that buffer. But you know, you should really also be thinking about payback time. So um, you know, in the book, I give this example of here. It looks like we have a really favorable, you know, the ten dollars CAC and I don't know a fifty dollars LTV. Looks like this is a win. Let's go ahead. But not until we actually model it out do we realize that it takes us three years to get paid that $50. So you pay the $10 up front. It takes you years you know, to get the $50 back. You're out of business, right? Or you can't grow with that type of model. Yeah. Mm. So 
in the book, I I say LTV is like a river. You know, it's a river of flows. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and you know, you have that CAC up front, and you should really try to model out how those flows come in. So it might mean you have months of time when you're actually still continuing to put money out. You're you are like giving that customer a I don't know a free basic version, and it costs something for that. Or you are continuing to like follow up with them. There's some like sales you know cost of that. Not until they, I don't know, get to month six, do they actually convert and become that premium customer or they start paying you know, at a higher level. Um, and then even so, you're losing people along the way. So I kind of, you know, in the more sophisticated models in that book, I do like a, a weighted gross margin and yeah. we get into uh, you know, more of the detail there. Yeah. That's why I'm back to it. It depends. Yeah. I, I assume there will be a lot of that in the, in, in the podcast today. So custom acquisition costs. Um, we have your book talks about what is actually a customer and how do we divide that further? What is, what is a cost? Like, you know, those basic things, is it fixed? Is it variable? Like not so easy, super interesting. Sounds super simple. Oh, we take a time period. We do these two things. It's not a big deal. It's a big deal. It tells you a lot. Um, if you're trying to judge a business, if you're trying to judge a startup, if you're an angel, if you're a corporate um, innovation team and so on, like it, there's a lot of information if you if you do it if you do it differently, uh, if you do it yeah if you do it by the book, okay that was a bit of a dad joke, and by if you do it by your book, gives us the ability to edit this later on. <laughs> Hi Anna, <laughs> this is going out, please. <laughs> sorry for the extra work, Anna. Yeah, I'm really sorry. <laughs> this is so good. This is going to be so much fun when she sees it. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, Anna. You're doing an amazing job editing these. Um, let's go back. So yeah, so you talk about what's the bad way of calculating it. You talk about a better approach and an even better approach. Uh, you talk a bit about what your customer acquisition cost should be. And it's just also not so easy to answer. So everything is very contextual. Um, it's sometimes hard to benchmark, uh, but yeah. I'm stuck there. I don't know. This is this is a great way of looking at the at customer acquisition costs. Now, let's jump into lifetime value. We 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 spoke about it, and again, we I think we assume we know similar to customer acquisition costs. We talk about it in a way where we where we may all assume we know what it is, but let's see if we're right um, or if we can make it better. So, it seems to be, especially when reading your book, but maybe even intuitively, it's a lot less clear. It's 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 not as straightforward to say. It's even less straightforward to say what a lifetime, what the lifetime value is. Would you would you agree? Or yeah, we already agree because it is expressed over time. Yeah, and you know, I I talk about the three elements of it, but uh, those take a while to come out. So um, businesses that have been around for a while have a better handle on this than brand new ones. But uh, I can talk about the like the, the elements of lifetime value, if that's a help. And yeah, let's do it. If I may rephrase it, how, how do we usually do it and why is that not so good? And then you'll, you'll often see lifetime value um, just done on like a revenue metric or a price metric. In other words, I, spe- I, I, I have priced this product out at $100. Somebody buys it from me. So lifetime value is $100. Right, um, and it leaves a lot out. Right, I have no idea what the costs of that product are. 
I don't know if they, you know, buy it one time, if they, you know, buy it every single month, every day. Um, so I like to break lifetime value, you know, down into those three parts of, you know, the unit price, the unit costs, and then a retention metric. So like how many repeat purchases someone is going to uh, um, generate as long as they are my customer. If you don't keep those three parts to it, and I, I even say like, keep those three parts in your calculations, like don't simplify it into one number uh, or just like just the number, you know, with, with like hiding, you know, those three parts. Um, if you hide those three parts, you lose some of the context. So for example, if I say, oh, lifetime value, uh, or I, I say, yeah, lifetime value is $100 and uh, cost is $99 and repeat purchases is, you know, 100. So price minus costs, a dollar times a hundred, a hundred dollars lifetime value. If I just say it's a hundred dollars and I don't give you the other context, you have no idea where can you try to push on uh, some part of that puzzle. So in that example, I might say, you know what? Could I raise prices by 1% to go from a hundred dollars to $101? And if everything else stays the same, I'm going to say my costs aren't going to really change from $99. If I raise prices 1%, I've just doubled my lifetime value, right? Uh, I'm not really losing people. I'll say in this extreme example, yeah, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm doubling lifetime value. Mm -hmm. um, and I lose all that context. Mm -hmm. uh, like in the same way, I might say like, I bet I could take my, keep the price the same. I could you know bring uh, costs from 99 to 98. Again, I'm doubling lifetime value in this weird example. And, um, and that's why I like, you know, breaking it down into those three elements. Yeah. And then the other thing, you know, that I, um, talk about in the book that we mentioned earlier is that, you know, it's a river of flows. So again, if I, uh, if I just take that number, oh, it's a hundred dollar LTV. And I don't know that it takes me actually like, you know, years and years to, you know, get that $100, whether in $1 per month, your know, payments or in, uh, like one lump sum, a hundred dollar payments yeah. at the end of five years. If I don't really express that, I just do it in, a spreadsheet, you know, right? And then you can you can visualize this with like a line of how you know things go up and down. Um, but if you don't do that, then you lose a lot of that information. So um, so one of the themes in this book, and I think you're you're kind of uh, been addressing this, is um, just like understand how the business works and like actually like dive in, you know, a, a bit more than is typical. Lifetime value, you know, because it's not expressed all at one, you know, all at one time, typically anyway. Um, you need to express it as uh, like a time series, right? So, so, so as you conclude in the book, then you have the price of the product minus the cost of the product times the number of times the number of times is bought right. by a customer, and that makes the first that makes it better. And then you look at it in a again in cohorts or in a or in time. Sorry, right? And and the um, the benefit. So, uh, what what's a cohort? There's many ways of you know, Great. Putting a cohort, right. um, I, I I often will stick to just a time-based cohort. So, in other words, I have one product in one customer segment. Uh, all the people who became customers in January, all the people who became customers in February, all okay, became, you know, customers in March. I have yeah. my January cohort, yeah. my February cohort, March cohort. Um, I can then look at them over time and see. Yeah. Okay, how do they perform against each other? So yeah. 
you know, like, did the early cohort actually churn away faster than the later cohorts? In other words, so, so you're not negating what you said earlier in terms of stay away from these from these from these times in a sense because it's 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 a it's a subsegment of the initial segment, right? So you have, like you look at your channel, and from there you look into and and then you break it down by time within the channel, right? Yeah, and and that allows you to see are you getting better <clears throat> over time? So in <clears throat> other words, yeah, fantastic. Uh, say yeah. my January of last year cohort, you know, by month five, I yeah. lose 90% of the people. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then I have my March cohort by month five of the March cohort. So five months afterwards, maybe I only have lost, you know, uh, 50% of the people. Right. So I've done something right. Like I am keeping more people. I don't know if that means the product is better. If my messaging is better to them, like I sent them a reminder, um, I change something about the pricing. I'm, you know, I'm doing something better yeah. if I'm keeping. And and that's where we bridge between startups, corporate innovation, and existing product lines and and marketing, right? So where we talk about that's basically very helpful now for your continuous improvement or for, you know, better margins on your product and better better marketing efforts, right? That's right. Um, and then it also lets you, you know. Um, it lets you build like a, a weighted gross margin, which I like you know, explained in the book, which basically, um, you know, uh, if I've lost 90% of people by month five, you know, I, I should be only counting that remaining 10% in my LTV calculations um, when I'm trying to actually, you know, do that full LTV as a river, you know, uh, spreadsheet. Um, and these Kind of metrics, you know, cohort metrics, or just like you know, you know, the weighted, you know, uh, gross margin. Um, those are used by businesses. For example, a lot of SaaS businesses. Um, SaaS businesses know that they're going to lose people over time. Everything, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. But the really good ones, they have negative churn, right? So that's a concept that, you know. How could you have negative churn? Like churn is the you know amount of <laughs> losing. Right? How could I be, how could I have like you know people mm -hmm. becoming more than one mm -hmm. person, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know that's a metric that's around. Well, okay, you did lose customers. Say so you lost you know like twenty percent of your customers in this period that we're studying, but the eighty percent that remained with you, they're each spending like you know one point you know uh, three times as much. So I'm actually earning more from that smaller group of customers than I was from the bigger group of customers. That's negative churn. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, this is, uh, this is amazing. Um, yeah, I think all through your book, and I think if you if you then read, I'm just looking at the at the outline here to, to, to remind me. So when you go into retention behaviors, you talk about like, um, it's, it's better retention, actually better. I think that's, that's when you talk about it and uh, negative churn and stuff. It's, it's really fun. Again, I want to say it's really fun to read it. Uh, I, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. This is just such a helpful book. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm truly excited. I'm truly excited. I'm learning when I read it. Uh, it's, it's great. And, um, I mean, you even go into discount rate. Definitely not going to touch it any further in the podcast right now because that's going to take us way off track. Um, but, but yeah, it's 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 really cool. So it really goes from let's let's make it a bit better, and if we can do that, that's great. And maybe then we can even make it a bit better. So you can come back to it. That's how I feel like you can really use it really well. And then you also have case studies. So that's really good. Um, now, 
when we bring those two together, so customer acquisition costs over lifetime value, maybe do you want to talk a, a few minutes about that? And then, and maybe in relation to, does that bring us to a product market fit? Um, how about, how about this? How about we talk about product market fit and then I'll try to bring in some yeah. of those other things. Let's do it. The, cool. So, uh, do you, you want me to just start or do you want to, I can, bl- I can, I can talk forever. So yeah, no, you please. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we were, okay. So we, we, we were talking about product market fit, you know, uh, when, when we spoke last week and this is not my term, right? This is a term, uh, mm-hmm. I think originally from Mark Andreessen, if I remember right. I think so. Uh, but a lot of people have used this term, you know, mm-hmm. in the startup world, certainly it's thrown yeah. around a lot. Yeah. yeah. And there's this enduring question I have found, which is like, well, what really is it? Like, I'm not, I'm mm-hmm. never exactly mm-hmm. sure that I have it or if I don't have it. Um, I like to just go to the shortcut of if you're asking me if you have it, you don't have it. Um, because it's relatively rare. Um, I don't think that I have a really quantitative answer for you, but I, so some of the elements, you know, and again, I'm, uh, not my term. So I'm using what I've seen other people, you know, uh, you know, no, but I think, to. but, but we like, but you're, I think, I think your book can help folks and it's just like with innovation, right? We don't need all we don't all need to agree on what innovation is but if your organization doesn't agree on what innovation is you have a very hard time managing it if your team talks about product market fit all the time but you don't have the same concept then it's going to be really hard to get to that point whatever that point is so i think that's the way i would like to i would like to frame it okay yeah so um so product market fit has a few elements so uh one is that it's possible for you to grow organically so Word of mouth, or you know, zero customer acquisition cost, or very close to that, if you're using an average. In other words, it's remarkable enough that people are just talking about it, sharing it. You know, the word gets out. You don't need to uh, invest a lot in the sales uh, or the marketing of this business. Um, you can keep growing, which means that you're not capping out at a very small, like, you know, a, a small, you know, extreme, you know, uh, um, uh, ideal, you know, customer, you know, that you happen mm-hmm, to find, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Going, that you're profitable at, on a unit basis. So, you know, there's a lot of startups that we've seen that raise a ton of money and they lose money on every single customer uh, that they have, you know, as well, because they're just spending, like they're, they're serving the wrong customer. They are priced way too low. So you are able to price appropriately People are happy to pay, and so on a on a unit basis, you're profitable. Um, and retention is relatively high. So you know, lots of examples of startups where you know they put something out there, it gets a lot of buzz. You know, a lot of people check it out, and then like everybody leaves because they're on to the next thing. Um, so if you don't have those elements of product market fit, you you can grow. It will cost you, you know, like it'll cost you a lot in customer acquisition cost. So you can pour money into growth. And one of the tactics I'll say of startups that raise a lot of money, whether it's their own tactic or encouraged by investors, one of the mm-hmm. tactics is <laughs> so they can raise them, again. Let's be honest here. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna raise it. We need to get to like that next level. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, they can exit. It doesn't really. Yeah. 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 Okay. Exactly. Uh, or. You know, um, Force your competitors to go out of business, you know, because they so, can't and that, and that's a reasonable and, and that, not sure how holy that, but that's a very reasonable business tactic and fine, 
right? So that's that's exactly in that context. That's where I would if, challenge that if, premise. Yeah, yeah. But if ultimately you can make a sustainable business, so if even sure. after sure. that point, you know, you're still losing money sure. on every single customer, yeah. or you're like you're not able to push the prices up, or you're not able yeah. to become efficient. Again, very contextual. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, because yeah, the, like the, the cynical approach then becomes, well, as long as I can exit before I have to really demonstrate sure. that it's a sustainable business, sure. then sure. I can't, sure. then, sure. uh, you know, the music stops at some point. Sure. Or in a corporate um, context, just change company. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. a classic one. And I'll, I'll give you one other example. Again, it is, uh, still relatively qualitative, but this is from, um, Andy, uh, Rockleff, who's, um, you know, he's a VC at Benchmark. He was founder at Wealthfront. Um, you know, he's spoken about product market fit quite a bit. He talks about a uh, kind of like a, a, a product trial a test that you might run in an enterprise context. So you have an enterprise customer, you give them like a product trial. It's a 30-day trial, I don't know, free, paid, yep. doesn't yep. matter. And at the end of the 30 days, you turn it off. And if yep. they do not complain and say, well, like, Hey, what's going on? Like, uh, I want to keep using this. Yeah. If they don't complain, mm. you know, okay, you're not at product market fit. Not, so, okay. Now I love yeah. this. That, that, that's one of the ways we, we traditionally measure in a sense where we ask that question, how upset would you be? So that is that, is that how it was born or is that his time of experiment? No, the question, the, 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 that, the question, that question I, first. I usually hear, um, as the, uh, is that the Sean Ellis test? Yeah. He's the guy. Who yeah. The yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, that question, like, how upset would you be if you could no longer? That's use right. That's right. And and if a certain percentage says, you know, super upset, then you've right. got product market. Right. I, I think his cutoff was like, if forty percent of people don't that's say, right. be upset, then he doesn't work with that client. In other words, he's he's wants to only work with the best, you know, uh, clients. If he's doing growth hacking, you don't want to. No, I think I think that's actually how he defines product market fit. Like, if you don't have that, then oh, you don't have product market fit, and you need to reiterate oh, and you need to reiterate iterate on your product before you scale. So that's, uh, sorry, why are we even talking about product market fit? Because I think that's a demarcation line to scale. Let's take a lot more money on and and, and grow this thing, I guess. Like that's really, why, why are we even worrying about this, right? I guess that's why we're worrying about it. Like what is the demarcation line to scaling? Is that, would, you, would, you, would you agree with that? Yeah, because if you yeah. don't have product market fit, um, you're going to spend a lot of money on customer acquisition. Yeah. It's not going to pay off for you. I mean, that could be part of a process where you end up figuring things out and you target better. You've improved the product. Like, yeah, this is like part of your discovery process. If it's not, however, getting you to that point, then yes, you're you're throwing good money after bad if you just keep doing it. So I guess in the show notes, we will we will try to link through what you said and then link link to a few methods and and so on. And there have been a few blog articles about this as well. And let's see if we have to cut this. Uh, but but how about simply saying how do we get back to a reasonable cut on the podcast? Maybe we should just say that. So we've just so we just went on a tangent here, and um, we spoke about product market fit. We spoke about innovation accounting, and how to what they have to do with each other, and how to better define it. And uh, yeah, we might we might do another episode on that. That seems to be the most the fairest thing and we're probably going to cut everything we said until now but it was fun uh thank you it was. we could maybe talk about a, a case study i know we've we've been speaking a lot some of it will be cut though so it might not be as long as it feels like right now I'm not quite sure but i think um at least one case study would be quite beautiful what do you think 
Sure. Yeah. Um, so let me bring up one, if you don't mind. Yeah. And this yeah. is one that um, I like a lot because it kind of goes back to something that you were saying earlier about ranges and predictability. So maybe there's a bit of a future callback for this. Yeah. If we talk again. Yeah, great. In, in the book, I talk about um, uh, a case study looking at data storage companies so like Dropbox or like yeah. you know, uh, basically Gmail um, or, you know, like Google Drive. I'll, you know, I'll count that as like uh, another version of, um, you, know, you know, file storage, right? Um, and these companies, they came up. So um, Gmail was in beta, I think, in 2004. Dropbox started maybe 2008. Um, these companies started offering what at the time seemed like an incredible amount of storage for Gmail. It was a gig, a free gig. Yeah. Mm. 2004 was a big deal, right? Mm. Um, and I think with Dropbox, you could get like some multiples of that if you invited other friends. I forget exactly yeah. what the number. And these businesses are predictable in the sense of they have costs that decline on, on a relatively predictable timeline. So, you know, if you, you know, or if you've been in the, I don't know, computing industry for 30, 40 years, like just like the idea of like buying a gig of storage like 30 years ago was like ridiculous, right? Uh, now it's like no big deal at all. It's like you, you just give it away. Um, and there's some predictability and this is basically Moore's law, you know, and new fabs that come online and like, you know, also just better access to uh, like, you know, uh, broadband as well for like, you know, transferring these large files. So there's some predictability that these companies had, uh, which meant that they could launch before the unit economics yeah. seemed to make sense. Mm. In other words, you know, they launched a little too early, but they mm. had signups. People mm. are using it. They're losing money for every new person that they sign up. Mm. They know this time is coming, you know, however many months or years in the future mm. that is. They know this time is coming when the economics are going to be favorable from the cost side. You know, we're going to be able to put storage online that is significantly cheaper. And it's better for us to sign people up today. And some of the business models were ad-driven. And they, you know, cover some of that cost. You know, some were more, um, you know, the, the freemium model where a certain percent pay a monthly subscription fee. But they know, you know it actually makes sense. Let's raise money today, get people on board. We basically lock them in. You know, they get used to our system. They don't want to, you know, move to something else. And we know at this point in the future, things turn favorable, uh, you know, unit economic wise, they turn favorable. So, um, and that's why, again, it's kind of a, it depends scenario. You know, that's a, uh, an industry or a couple industries mm. where they are responding to a relatively predictable change in their own infrastructure costs, say. Um, that's not the situation that other business types might be able to take advantage of, but those you know, yeah because you burn a lot of money for a while and unless you yeah so as long as you have good retention you know um that kind of business can work out and you think that's you know, and that's what you would measure in the beginning right at least yeah okay so you and right, that's right. how you and that's how you de-risk that kind of model so yeah and you could have pulled they could have pulled the plug early if the retention wasn't there because that's that was the fundamental exactly, the fundamental exactly. metric so, for them exactly that, that would have been the perfect example of well we're basically giving this thing away for free it's you know 
a big deal at the time. A gig is a big deal. Nobody wants to use it. The product must be terrible. Uh, we have to work on this product. You know, it doesn't right. matter if the costs are going to decrease in the future. We have to work on this product. Otherwise, like, there's, you know, we're, we're, we're even when the unit economics are favorable, we're not going to be able to keep people. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like uh, I, I like kind of applying these different models or trying to figure things out. Um, you know, every startup, every you know, every corporate is going to be a little different. So, you know, you have to think, okay, what makes sense for you? You can gain a lot of insight by looking at other case studies. End of the day, you're probably mm. taking mm. a slight path. Otherwise, you don't innovate much, I guess. So yeah. everybody's listening to this, po this podcast will probably have to uh, <laughs> have to figure out their own way to a degree, most likely. Yeah, yeah hey, we've, we've spoken for a long time and we could speak easily for another hour. Uh, But I guess we start wrapping. I again want to give a big shout out to your book, um, Growth Units. We will; it's available on Amazon. It's available on other platforms, and we will we will link to it. 100. Again, I think it is great to get started. So you you know, for corporate teams, for startups, uh, if you if you want to get get started with this topic, um, it is great to pick up and and understand the philosophy, understand to. Um, maybe even inform your next experiment and where, where you want to work on what you want to do. And it goes further. It goes further into, you know, for folks who currently calculate lifetime value and want to make it better. Uh, it offers equally that kind of value. I think to me, it is, it is great. Um, and thirdly, maybe even in a forensic sense. So if you, if you're an angel or, If you're somebody who's in, who's investing, or if you're in, in corporate, and I think it can help you to dive a bit deeper. And if you want to do that, I think it's equally a good way to dig that bit deeper. And um, how do you how do you step away from looking at the business in, in a meta way and actually looking at it in a deeper way? I think it's great. And thank you so much for being on being here. Thank you. This is a lot of fun.